action. You two do this every week. <laughs> every week where I'm like, action, go ahead, start talking. And you both look at each other like we're just about to get launched to the moon in some kind of tinfoil space shuttle. It doesn't really help that you have the laundry just clang and bang in the background. <laughs> I, have that, I have that dryer humping in the background. We'll close the door. <laughs> Say something in the microphone. Okay. What are we talking about today? You two <laughs> are the worst. always this line? Are the worst, what are we talking about today? The worst two podcasters. That's rude. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. We're back. Dryers down there just working, putting on an overtime shift down there, drying towels and or whatever's. A couple of whatever's dumped in there, too. What are we talking about today? Progression. Progression. Sophisticated. So we are talking about progression within a mesocycle for hypertrophy. So basically in English, what that means is that you're progressively going to lift weights more and harder throughout a given amount of time if you're trying to make your muscles bigger. We make that all into regular layman's terms. So we're going to go through this whole thing. We're going to talk a little bit about our personal experiences and maybe use this as a little bit of a jumping off point for a series in which we talk about progression, both in terms of the goals we have, so whether it's strength or hypertrophy or aerobic capacity, and then differences between genders with regard to progression and volume and what that looks like. So we've talked about hypertrophy in the past, but if this is uh, people's first podcast with us, why don't you tell them what hypertrophy is? First of all, where have you been if this is your first podcast? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, hypertrophy is just a fancy way of saying that you want to grow your muscles. So if we break uh, resistance training down into two big camps, you can either train for strength, and that looks one way, or you can train for hypertrophy, and that looks another way. So basically what you're doing is you're training your muscles in movement patterns and rep ranges and at weights that are most conducive uh, to making them a little bit bigger each time. And so there's crossover between strength and hypertrophy, but we're gonna mainly focus on the latter for this conversation. Straight facts. Straight <laughs> facts. Uh, so I think really where you need to start um, when we talk about progression, and this is something that we have the unique ability to do when we're programming for people. And it's probably the maybe one of the biggest elements of programming uh, for someone is taking them through a gradual progression. And it begins really with understanding where their MEV is. So their minimal effective volume. Or you could think about this as the like the minimum effective dose of something that's going to move them in the direction we want. Um, so there's a couple ways to track this. There's a couple of questionnaires that you can have people fill out. Um, otherwise, you're, you're sort of guessing based on their training background. So we try to ascertain MEV initially. Uh, and the goal within a mesocycle, so within, say, a four to six week block of training, is to progress someone from their minimum effective volume to effectively the, the most they can recover from in a given week, or even a little more than they can recover from. And I'll use a personal anecdote for that. So 
why don't we turn it over to Amanda? Why do we need to start at MEV? Why not just start? Why not just hit sets of five? You know what I mean? Like why, why does, why do we need to track that number? Uh, well, without any sort of progression or starting below where someone could potentially be fatigued, like you don't want to go hot right out of the gate, right? Like, we discussed with aerobic capacity, right? If you go from zero to a hundred, your very first minute or your very first set or your first session, uh, then there's nowhere to go from there. And you're more likely to end up with some sort of injury because you've started out at such a high level that there's kind of nowhere to go from there. Yeah, so that would be the argument for starting like closer to MRV, like as close to as much you can recover from. I think that one of the reasoning pieces behind starting at or around MEV is is the the analogy of like if you're picking up apples, if you want to get apples and you're at an apple orchard, you can definitely climb to the very top of the tree to get apples right out of the gate. But guess what? In the fall, there are apples on the ground that are perfectly fine. And you can fill up all your baskets with apples that are purely on the ground that are maybe the best ones. And there's literally no reason for you to climb the tree. And so when we're talking about training at MEV, what we're looking at is, is doing like sort of no more and no less than, than what you need to create change. Um, so obviously the opposite of that would be doing either way, way, way less, like you don't go to the apple orchard at all, or way, way, way more, like you're on a scaffolding and you're hanging out on by a wire trying to pick up apples from the very top of the tree. So right, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you progress people and or your own progressions like within a, a given mesocycle what does that look like for you for hypertrophy? Yeah so it would look um, primarily with less sets so you'd start with uh, fewer working sets so whether that be you know that could be to, to, I mean, depends on who you are and what your MEV is. Um, but you would start with less sets. And then as time went on, you would progress to more and more sets um, towards the end of your mesocycle. Um, and then you could also progress in reps. So your goal would be as you progress in weight and sets, then you stick to the same amount of reps or more as you go. So if you're doing 70 pounds one week and you can get 10 reps, then the next week you do 75 pounds, you should get 10 or 11 reps. You want to keep moving up. Um, so there's, I guess, three different ways that you could do it. You could look at it in terms of sets, reps, um, or weight, or I guess rest time in between sets. Um, and that'll all progress. So either get more sets, heavier weight, more reps, or less rest as time goes on in your mesocycle. Yeah, so that's the idea of triple progression. So hypertrophy training is really, uh, and there's some debate about this within kind of the scientific end of the industry about how best to do this, but they both are all fields basically, are all reasonable fields, effectively agree that you need to have progression in one, two, or all of these uh, for maximal results. And so what that looks like for the individual is obviously going to be very different. Uh, and what it looks like in a given movement is going to be different too. 
Um, but generally you want it to be it, one of those three, if not two or even all three. <clears throat> so Amanda, tell us a little bit about kind of your experience with progression or how you like to progress people. Uh, so I think like Ray said, it, it is all dependent on the person, right? Which is kind of the exciting part about individual design is, you know, the three of us at this table are all very different, both in age and gender. Um, and so how we may progress, albeit doing the same movements, may look different. Um, for me, most likely it's going to be additional reps and additional sets um, at a much quicker pace than it is for you guys. And I think we're kind of seeing that now going through your initial round of hypertrophy. Uh, whereas I did that a few months ago <clears throat> and by week five for me, I was at, you know, nine to 11 sets of things and you guys are sitting in the six, six. to eight range. Yeah. So that kind of goes into gender differences for sure. I think we could also look at, um, and we look at this a lot with clients is the training age of the individual client. So if you have someone who is effectively training age zero, so they're an absolute beginner, versus someone who is maybe training age 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, and they're more toward, if not definitely advanced, how you progress them is gonna be a little bit different. And certainly how you progress intensity, which is weight, uh, and potentially, how long they can progress for is going to be different. So if you have somebody who is an absolute beginner, <clears throat> they're going to see uh, big progressions really quickly, and they're likely able to continue progressing longer before they need to do like something like take a deload or an intentionally easy week. And the reasoning behind that is because they aren't, they're still developing their strength and they're not physically strong enough to create enough fatigue that merits them taking not as much time. Whereas someone who's really, really advanced and can express things at a very heavy intensity is inherently going to generate a lot more fatigue. Uh, so the difference, say, you know, as an example, you take someone who is doing back squat sets at 135 pounds versus uh, for sets of 10 versus someone who's doing uh, those same sets of 10 at 455 pounds. Uh, so even if they're vastly different in size, that doesn't matter in, in terms of pure fatigue and pure stimulus, they're really, really different places. So the beginner might be able to go potentially a couple months before they need to take a deload. Whereas that more advanced person may need to deload every three weeks just because they're generating so much fatigue that they're reaching their MRV uh, and we'll kind of talk about what that means uh, and they need to take some some easy time basically yeah and i think if we break this down essentially what we're saying is is if you are one of those individuals who goes into a gym and every monday you do five sets of five back squats at 225 pounds but your goal is to get stronger but that is the same workout that you do every monday then there's no way to know if you are getting stronger so you have to progress that whether that means the next week all you do is one more set like at least you're still realizing that you can get stronger by adding in and completing another set um so it's something that again you should think about when you're doing your training and why you're doing what you're doing if your goal is to get stronger or to strengthen your muscles then you have to have some sort of progression within your training 
Yeah, I think that's uh, something that's kind of seen a lot in group class as well, is if you're someone who's listening who wants to take something out of this, but you're not an individual design client or you're working by yourself in a conventional gym, um, you can, if you're always doing the same weights for back squat or power clean or whatever you're doing, then you're not like you have to force yourself to progress at some point. So every time you see back squats, if you automatically do 185, no matter the reps, the sets, the tempo, whatever it is, then you're not, you have to challenge yourself at some point. So I think that applies to everyone is that sometimes people get kind of stuck in their way of doing it. We're doing cleans today. So I'm, I'm going to do 95 pounds. That's what I do for cleans instead of um, slowly trying to get heavier and heavier with whatever movement. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing and something that you see a lot in all areas of working out is people who just never progress. They do the same number of sets, same number of reps, same amount of weight, and they just can't seem to understand. It's not for lack of effort or putting time in, uh, but they just can't seem to understand why they don't get any stronger. I think, unfortunately, you see the opposite, too. Uh, and again, where people come in and you see this certainly in a group class setting, you also see it certainly in a conventional gym setting. It's nobody's fault. It's just how it is, uh, is they come in and they haven't done a movement pattern, say horizontal pressing. So we'll say bench press in a significant amount of time. And then they do something like seven sets. And it's like, okay, so you brutal, you climbed to the top of the tree. You just brutally overreached yourself. And yes, you're going to be profoundly sore for several days. And unfortunately, when you're that sore, when you damage your muscles that much, they don't actually adapt. All they are trying to do is recover back to baseline. So all that great work you did doesn't move the needle anywhere. And so that's where we need to have a sense of like how much is not enough, just right, and too much. And as coaches, that's what we try to figure out for each individual client. And so what we also need to look at is, you know, intra-session, so how many working sets are you doing in a given session? And so for most people, that looks optimally like somewhere between total, if you put all your movements together, probably about eight, six or eight, and about 20. And in terms of time, maybe somewhere between like 45 minutes and two hours. Beyond that, you start to get so fatigued that you get into really the realm of like junk volume. Like you're doing work, but you're so beat up and burnt out uh, that you're not getting a whole lot out of it. And so I think that's the other thing we have to look at is, you know, at some point when we're progressing people, it makes sense to either add more sessions in a week. So go from four to five or five to six or whatever. Or, and we, we've started to do this with our training, especially at the end of a mesocycle, is you go into AM and PM sessions where you're doing some work, taking basically as much time in between as you possibly can, and then doing the remainder of your work again so that you can try to get the most out of all of it. So, Amanda, this is something you <laughs> pioneered at this table because you were you know, in workouts with 42 working sets and you know, just a brutal amount of work that where you just, nobody can stay focused beyond say two, two and a half hours and get the most out of it. Yeah. And I think that's important for, you know, a lot of our clients who are 
experiencing their first hypertrophy cycle, you may have never understood the difference between strength or hypertrophy, or that there are benefits to both and how that affects your training. Um, but if you are purposely in a hypertrophy cycle, like what that means for you and kind of how your mindset needs to be adjusted for the training that you're in, especially as you get towards the end of that mesocycle. Because you can be, especially for women, at a lot of actual working sets. Um, I think in one of our very first podcasts, we talked about this, that I was, I ended my hypertrophy cycle with 12 sets of back squats. And so that was a movement uh, for that day. And so it did, it it became, I had to break it up into two sessions because it was just so fatiguing that it was not going to do me any good to finish the rest of my exercises within the next hour three or hour four. Well, and to add context to that, and I'll let you talk, Brian, in a second. That wasn't the only, just so people understand, that wasn't the only thing you did that day. Correct. That was your opening movement. Correct. A was back squat, 12 sets, one from failure. Right. You know what I mean? And then you, you're, you go on from there. And so we've all seen this where, again, you know, you just accumulate. We see it with clients too. And it's, kind of have to set the expectation as they go. Like, listen, as we get through, go through a given hypertrophy mesocycle, like you're just going to be here for longer. Like it's going to, at first it's going to take you 50 minutes. And by the end, it's going to take you like an hour and 30, even if you're, you're moving and grooving, because that's just how long it takes. Like, and, and that's just part of the game and then it'll reset and it'll be less. Yeah. I was just going to say to put some context in further context into that. For me, I just did, I'm at the end of my, mesocycle and did six sets of back squats one from failure and that was more than plenty for me so 12 <laughs> is absolutely mind-boggling yeah yeah double that <laughs> and we'll get into in a future episode just because this is there is such a big difference between genders in terms of recoverability and volume and what makes sense and kind of what doesn't we'll talk more about that but yes yeah, fair to say for now there's significant difference. And again, this is something that you don't, unfortunately don't see differentiated in, you know, group classes or oftentimes how people are working out in conventional gyms is they're trying to do the same thing. But the reality is while you can do the same movements, the dose response and the stimulus and the amount needed in your recovery time are very, very different. And so it, it just, it's not a one size fits all thing. Right. Anything that goes back to, you know, not just recovery, between like training sessions, but within your training and from set to set and from movement to movement and understanding uh, how you feel and recognizing when you need more rest or when you may need a little less rest um, as you transition from bigger muscle groups to smaller muscle groups or more isolation. And just thinking about that in your own training, uh, how that affects your next movement. So if your first movement is a compound movement, like a back squat, like how is that then affecting the other movements that you are completing for that day? Yeah. So I think in maybe in our last 10 minutes, let's talk a little bit about how, you know, if you're not having someone program for you, um, and obviously if you are, hopefully they're, they're being guided by these principles, one would hope. Um, but if you're doing this yourself, or if you're trying to figure out where you should be in terms of volume, what factors do you look at to try to figure out when you should add sets, add reps, et cetera? So 
there's a couple factors and, and we didn't make this up. This is very much like sports science and even more directly from, from people like 3DMJ and Renaissance periodization, people really at the heads of the industry in terms of like scientifically based um, programming. So certainly we didn't make it up. We're not going to take credit for it. Um, but there's a couple factors that I think you pay a lot of attention to. And number one is if you're training for hypertrophy, are you getting a pump with that movement, right? So if we're doing leg press or hack squat, do you have a pump in your quads? If the answer, if you can check the box, yes. Okay. That's an inherently good thing. That's probably an appropriate amount of sets. If the answer is no. Okay. Well, so something might be off. Maybe your technique's off, but also maybe we're just not like our volume isn't appropriate. Like you do one working set and you don't have a pump. Like, okay. So maybe that's not enough. The second factor is, do you feel in a post workout setting, like after you're done disruption in the muscles you used. And so classic analogy, and again, I didn't come up with this, but it's a really good one. So I'm going to steal it is, can you do a leg workout where you're squatting and leg pressing and straight leg deadlifting, and then you can like sprint upstairs. Well, if the answer is yes, okay, so something, again, might be off. Maybe your weight's a little bit low. Maybe your volume was a little bit low. Maybe te technique was a little off. You don't feel any perturbation in the muscles. Like if you're going up up the steps sideways or like grabbing, <laughs> grabbing onto the railing and you're like, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to make this in my car. Like you probably did enough. The next one is uh, muscle soreness. So uh, I'd like you guys to comment on this because, again, this is an interesting gender difference um, in terms of, of uh, not enough, how much, you know, perfect amount, too much. So whoever wants to go first. Um, yeah, so I we can go back to my back squat example. Um, that's the one thing that comes to my mind that always like done right. I always get um, very sore from. So there's, but I've also had an experience where, um, maybe overreach myself a little bit and I am sore for days and days on end instead of, uh, you know, one or two days. So I think if you're kind of at a point where you're, um, one or two days of soreness and then it starts to dissipate or go away and you feel like you can kind of get back on at it three to four days after, then you're probably good. But if you're at a point where you're so sore that it's, four days later and you're still pretty wrapped in whatever muscle group that was, then you're probably going, it's probably a little bit too much. Um, obviously that's dependent on the person, but I think if you have no soreness, then that's maybe um, a sign that something's not right. And then if you have so much soreness that it's days and days of extreme soreness, then that's maybe a little bit too much. So you kind of want to be in that sweet spot where you know you were, you can feel it the next couple of days, but not, you're not floored and rolling on the ground for days and days after. Right. So if you're training legs two days a week, right. And it's like Monday and Thursday, you should be recovered enough by Thursday that when you go in to do whatever your now leg movements are on Thursday, they're not impacted by what you did on Monday. Your legs have recovered. You feel a good pump throughout that workout. And then again, maybe the next day or two days later, you're a little sore in your quads or in your hamstrings, whatever it was that you trained. Uh, but then again, come Monday, the following week, again, you're not in a bad position to where 
you're like, I don't know that I can do a back squat, let alone the five sets that I have programmed for me. Yeah. So we refer to that globally as like trying to avoid overlapping soreness and a little bit's okay. But if you're chronically having that, you're still super, super, super sore in the target muscles the next time you go, that's an indication that certainly should probably shouldn't be adding any volume and that your volume might be a little high. And obviously it's, it's hard to step back because again, you want to try to be progressive. Like you don't want to do less over time, but that would be an indication. Like if you did five sets on Monday and you're still brutally sore on Thursday, but, uh, you know, the next Monday, like still do your normal Thursday stuff, but the next Monday, maybe don't add any sets, stay, stay at five. Uh, I think that the final element of this is how do you know when you've reached MRV? So how do we know when it's time to take a deload? and or where you should not continue adding sets. And the, the answer to this is, is actually pretty straightforward. Like it's very obvious and it's that you can't repeat last week's effort. And so I had uh, a situation that happened to me just this week because it was a peak week for me. So coming into deload week where I could not repeat in some exercises, not all, but some uh, last week's stuff. So I could not, I was having a hard time matching the reps at the same weight, basically. So you can't, you can't do it again. And that's your body's way of telling you like that you can't recover from that. And so at that point you need to stop or take a deload because your performance is now degrading. Like you're, you can't, you're, you're outstripping your body's ability to, to recover and adapt. And that's the time where you want to let some steam out of the tank and take a deload week and then basically start the whole process again. And it also can uh, affect you in other ways, like your sleep. Like, are you not able to sleep throughout the night because you're restless, your muscles are aching? It's not, your body's not recovering. Um, so there are other factors that you can kind of think through when determining if your training session or your training block is is reached that point. Yeah, I think this is this is something that OPEX is pretty big on is uh, being like really in tune with just how your body is feeling. So whether that's like hormonal dis disruption, so you're not sleeping or you don't you have an extreme appetite or not no appetite at all, or, um, you know, you're extremely fatigued, you have, you know, you don't have motivation to do, you know, whatever X, Y and Z um, or you know, your things are just off and you can notice and that usually is a um, sign that you're a little overreached and it's time for a deload. So that can be obviously with weight training, that can be with um, mixed modal exercise as well. But I think it's kind of one of those things that always be in tune with your body. And if you're pretty in tune with it, then you can usually pick up pretty quickly like, oh, this is off. It's probably due to the fact that I haven't been able to walk for five days because I'm so sore. Probably has something to do with that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously we're, we're making this broad and saying, if you aren't working with a coach, like these are things that you can think about uh, on your own as you're trying to take your way through uh, your own training. But also these are conversations that we then have with our clients uh, about how they are feeling throughout the week and throughout, you know, their actual training session that day and throughout their mesocycle as a whole and it goes back to some people can take three weeks some people can take six weeks it all depends uh, and so being honest with yourself and being honest with your coach if you have someone programming for you 
these are things that are important for us to know to make sure that we're not advancing you too quickly because we're seeing on a you know on a piece of paper oh they were able to do four sets of 10 reps at this weight so we're going to progress them when in reality like the last two sets of 10 were you know complete junk reps they're like pausing every time they're having to take big breaks in between each rep of those 10 um and so we're talking about both long-term uh, soreness with it, but also within the actual training session. Yeah, I think, and you know, as maybe a closing thought to carry over on what you guys were just talking about, of noticing things about your performance, having conversations with coaches uh, about about how your performance is going, how you're feeling, your ability to repeat efforts and progress, et cetera you know, noticing hormonal changes, appetite changes, libido changes, sleep changes, all those things fall under the umbrella of being a thinking athlete. And so what we're trying to express to people is that you should be really engaged with your training. And if you're just doing something because it's written on a board or a screen or, or whatever, like that, at some level, that's okay. That's your prerogative, but you're, you're leaving some stuff on the table. And if you're asking these questions and thinking about it, you're much more likely to get much more out of your training, which is obviously the goal for our clients, but our goal for everyone listening is if you're taking time and investing the money to go to a gym or, or to exercise in any case, uh, you should be getting the most out of it. So we'll be back next week with uh, basically the same conversation, but pertaining to strength training and then aerobic capacity and gender differences after that. But in the meantime, it's a beautiful Sunday. It's getting cooler outside. Go enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you next time. See ya.